Fish Bites podcast is back for episode two. I'm Aram Layton, joined by the Fish Stripes managing editor, Eli Sussman. How are you doing, Eli? Aram, I've never been better. So let's give these guys some tasty fish bites to chow down on. Uh, you all ready? <laughs> I'm ready to go. So the, the Marlins are in last place. The uh, sky is also blue and the Pope is still Catholic. But the Marlins are not the worst team in the league. That's the silver lining. The Reds actually just fired Brian Price. If you've been uh, keeping up with the news, and they're three and fifteen, and Luis Castillo hasn't looked that good. Not that we are going to root against him, but that trade still irritates me a little bit. Um, the Marlins are coming off of a huge win against the Yankees. Absolutely dominated them, which was nice to see after being dominated the day before. Uh, so obviously, there's a lot going on and uh, a lot to talk about. So Eli, uh, what, what's on your mind right now so far? three weeks into the season with the Marlins? Well, my general feeling, and I I don't know how this actually jives with the general public, is that this is pretty similar to what my expectations were like coming straight into the year. Um, As They were 5-12 and in the first 17 games, and all that except the most recent one against the Yankees was without Real Muto, a catcher. And we knew they had all these little injuries pop up right at the end of spring with the rotation, with Dan Straley, with Wayne Chen, with Martin Prado taking longer to get back than was was originally hoped. And they played a lot of good teams, uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Mets, who have gone off to an amazing start as well. So they were going up against this great competition. And uh, with the exception of a few games, most of them have been really competitive games as well. So, I mean, record-wise, this is kind of what I saw coming into the year. And you're right, even though they're like right at the bottom of the league with some of the worst teams, they're adding a lot of reputable veterans, you know, surrounding uh, all these unproven players that they had in that lineup. I mean, they, uh, I mean, they had more youth on the opening day roster than we've ever seen before. It was well, nine or 10 different guys on the opening roster for the first time. And most of those guys have stuck around since then, but generally uh, slowly we're going to see those guys get, put back where they're more comfortable in. Um, and and we're just heading towards this chunk of the season where we'll be following all the veterans now to see how well they do perform because every single one of them, as we get closer to the middle of the season, you're starting to think of them as trade bait to contending teams. Uh, even though we have all this depth coming to the major league roster now that we didn't have the first few weeks, it's still going to be like a shaky team we're expecting. So I'm just excited, you know, to see the combination of the vets coming back, um, but also seeing what we learn about all the young guys. Well, you talk about trade bait. It really seems like almost the Marlins are showcasing some of their players, just hoping they can start to perform to to trade them. Because you look at the minor leagues right now, the, the Marlins farm system, they have some exciting prospects, obviously, that they acquired in the offseason. But a lot of them are underperforming. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But even if they weren't underperforming, my argument has been all along that they don't have enough right now to say like, hey, if every single one of these prospects panned out, the Marlins would be great in a couple of years. I don't think you can say that because just with what they have right now, it's, I just don't think it's enough to be able to look into the future and say, okay, they're going to be good in a few years. I think there still needs to be more trades going down. I think Rio Muto is obviously – the, the biggest blue chip you know trade piece that they have uh, he's the only guy that's really gonna net a top 50 
potential prospect. Also, Starlin Castro, if he keeps hitting at a high level, could maybe net you a top 100 guy. But I still think they need to do a lot more in regards to bolstering that farm system because, I, like I said, I don't think it's enough. But I'm curious what you think. No, that's spot on. And it's going to be a combination between you know actually getting higher quality talent in the system and then also kind of what the new VP of player development Gary Denbo is going to do because they brought him over from the Yankees. And I mean, a big thing that he did with the Yankees that has them in a position to be a consistent contender is that they acquired prospects and then those guys got better. Those prospects that were unheralded coming out of Latin America or just overlooked coming in on trades, they got better. Like they developed skills that they didn't have before and they turned into special players. Like Aaron Judge is one of those guys that was a late first round draft pick a few years ago, um, but now is someone that's on the precipice of being one of the best players in the game. And it's just countless examples in, on their team now and guys that are coming up in the future that got better. And that's a big part of improving your farm system is having the right structure in place to mentor these young players. So I mean, coming into this year, the Marlins farm system, if you ask most of the experts, it's still in the bottom half in terms of quality. It's closer to the middle of the pack. I mean, entering the offseason, the obvious reason why they had to go through this in the first place is because entering the offseason, they were right at the very bottom. They just had no depth in their farm system, and then they, they had no guys that you could really look to as having a superstar ceiling. And, you know, they made strides in both of those areas with the trades that they made, with getting some guys like Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison who have that high ceiling if everything goes right for them, but then just also adding a lot of depth, just overall bringing in, it was 14 different players in the trades of Gordon, Yelich, Ozuna, and Stanton. And that, with all that depth, uh, probably the majority of those guys aren't regulars in the major league level. But if just a handful of them are, then you're already making a lot of progress towards the core of the next team. Absolutely. And, and my only issue with all of the players that they acquired so far is that when you're giving up a guy like Yelich, you know, they got a great return. Now, that haul at Milwaukee, I, I will not uh, criticize at all between Monty Harrison and Lewis Brinson. The only thing that makes me a little nervous is, yeah, those guys have high ceilings, but they have pretty low floors. And I mean, we've seen Lewis Brinson struggle at the major league level so far. I know it's early. He struggled in his small sample size last year. Uh, one, one of the biggest issues that scouts have had with Brinson isn't his tools. It's, it's, simply just his ability to hit and whether he will be able to hit at a higher level. And, you know, we saw, we see examples of Byron Buxton who, who took years and years and the twins were really patient with him. And now he's come out and, and he's looking like the prospect that everyone thought he could be. Uh, but I don't think the Marlins are in a position where they can wait that long for Lewis Brinson to really figure it out. And I'm not saying he needs to figure it out tomorrow or, or next month, but he is supposed to be that guy that, is the face of the new franchise, you know, the face of the new movement. Mm-hmm. And if he can't do that, I'm kind of a little nervous as to what the Marlins are going to do because you really need that one centerpiece that's going to be the reason why fans can look forward to the future. And I don't know if Brinson's going to be that guy. And I don't know. I'm not going to ask you here. I'll defer to you. Is it time to get worried about Lewis Brinson? 
Well, I mean, let's be very clear about what he's been this year. He is hitting like a pitcher, exactly like you expect a pitcher to hit, where there's been no power to zero extra base hits and just very little on base skills and the super high strikeout rate nearly a third of the time. So it's it's about as bad as it could be uh, for a guy that's been getting consistent starting action until that Yankees series where he was benched a couple of games. So it's it's been tough to see. He is getting a little unlucky, in my opinion, if you dig into the stats. Uh, he is hitting the ball not hard, but closer to major league average than you might suspect. The issue is a lot of the times that he does make contact, it goes straight into the ground. And ground balls are almost automatic outs in the majors, the way that they're not exactly the case in the minors. Um, so there's clearly something off mechanically, and you do wonder whether it make more sense to fine-tune that in, in AAA. But it it's just so hard to send him down also because he had been at AAA for significant chunks the last two years, and he had dominated that pretty consistently. There's really nothing for him to prove down there. Um, So, I mean, it's a tough call about the, whether to send it, whether to work through his issues up here or down there. Um, and I think just a lot of that, uh, it's going to be decided pretty soon, I think, um, on this road trip in Milwaukee and against the Dodgers as they face a little bit of a roster crunch coming up if Martin Prado comes back and uh, maybe not further after JT Riddle comes back. They just have a lot of position players to fit on the active roster at the same time. And so far this year, they've only been carrying 12 position players. It used The standard used to be like 13, but now they've been stocking up on arms that a guy on the bench, there's just not much of a bench to begin with at the major league level. And guys on the bench don't see a lot of action. So um, I'd say they don't need to make a call right now on that. Um, but yeah, the one thing is that the young prospects in the high minors aren't exactly knocking down the door either. They had Braxton Lee up with a major league club earlier this year. And he's got elite speed and he's got really good defense that's going to help a team immediately. But he he wasn't hitting and he hasn't been hitting since they sent him back down. Uh, the same thing with Magnera Sierra, who came in the Ozuna trade with the Cardinals. He's been at AAA the whole time and he's striking out a third of his plate appearances. He's batting 154 with no power. So he doesn't seem fully ready yet. And then in AA, they have Monte Harrison. And it's a lot the same story. It was striking out constantly, and the power is not really translating at this point in the season. Uh, so it's it's all in that one department, in this outfield department. And that was such a big topic of conversation coming into the year because they depleted that star outfield that they had. It's been, <laughs> from that standpoint, it's been about as bad as possible, where they went from again, having the gold standard of production from that position to having just a really questionable future. If you're overreacting to the small sample, the small sample has been about as discouraging as you could um, fear, possibly. It's been as bad as possible. And the thing with Sierra that's really alarming is that you know, all or nothing approach is not his game. He, he needs to put the ball in play. He's a speed guy. Uh, when you know when when I looked at his numbers in his brief sample size with the Cardinals last year, it was exciting to an extent. But then when you looked at the velocity of the balls put in play, and you looked at the at the advanced statistics, it suggested a lot of it had to do with luck. 
you look now and see how he's performing at AAA, you wonder if it's evening out now or if he is just in a little bit of a slump. Like we said, it's early. You don't want to make too many assumptions a few weeks into the season, but it you can't help but be alarmed so far with some of these prospects that the Marlins have brought in. You'd figure at least one of them would be figuring it out. We also haven't mentioned Isnan Diaz, who who is also just not doing well and also striking out a lot and not putting the ball in play a lot. So my only concern here is that it seems like as a whole, the Marlins have kind of acquired a lot of guys that all have the same issue where it's, it's not something that's very balanced in the, in the minor leagues right now with the Marlins. It's a lot of guys that are just all or nothing approaches that can have potential to hit 30 plus home runs in the major leagues, but also have the potential to strike out over 200 times. And I thought that was something the Marlins might try to get away from when they traded Stanton uh, but it seems like in Ozuna also, I mean, he's a high volume strikeout guy as well. And I'm, I'm generally personally, I'm opposed to having a lineup stacked with guys like that. You look at the Yankees, they could potentially break the all time strikeout record for a team. And I think that has a lot to do with what their struggles are so far. I was actually the only guy to not take the Yankees to win the division uh, in our fist stripe staff predictions. And I'm going to brag about that right now a little bit, even though it's early. But the reason why I made that selection was not because I thought the Red Sox were going to be this good. I, I will not lie. I, I won't lie and stand here and say that I knew the Red Sox were going to be this good. But I did think the Yankees were going to struggle, and it's because I did not think they'd be able to manufacture runs. Yeah, they're going to hit their home runs, but they're also going to strike out in an astronomical rate between Judge, Sanchez, Stanton, uh, and, and the list can go on. I mean, Brett Gardner strikes out a good amount. I think that's going to be an issue for them, and I'd really hate to see that become an issue for the Marlins. Right, and we saw some of that front and center firsthand. Uh, the second game of the Yankees series started by Harlan Garcia, where he was not sharp at all. He he walked five different guys in just five innings, and he gave them all these opportunities with runners on base, and they would either strike out or hit a ground ball double play in those situations and just let all those opportunities waste away. You're prone to... Yeah, an all or nothing type of result where when things aren't going right, um, you just don't produce. Like So the average run production is going to be among the league leaders, but you're going to lose a lot of games on the bottom end of that because there's just a lot of variance. There's those times where guys are are not contributing to a, a successful team offensive strategy. And uh, so Stanton, unfortunately, has been like right in the middle of that struggles where he's striking out 40% of the time, uh, nearly double the league average. And so even though he's still running into his home runs, and even though this is the kind of slump that we saw sometimes when he was in Miami, um, it's, yeah, it's really difficult to win that way when a guy's, especially when he's coming up with runners in scoring position and just not contributing to the cause. So, uh, I mean, he's been a slow starter in the past, but especially in this series, uh, like he was as as uh, struggled as we've ever seen, where he went completely hitless, 0 for 7 with four strikeouts, and um, just looked bad against some really mediocre pitchers that the Marlins have right now. I mean, I think highly of Harlan Garcia, but out of the bullpen, Chris O'Grady was embarrassing him starting in that first game Caleb Smith got him whiffing on some you know just some very ordinary pitches so it looks bad with some of those guys even when they turn out to be MVPs it turns it just it gets really ugly when they're not in sync 
And what's interesting is that the trend in the three pitchers that you just named that embarrassed Stanton were all three were lefties. And historically had a lot of success against lefties. He doesn't, he stays through the ball much better. He doesn't pull off and he doesn't have to worry about that slider. That's been his nemesis since he's been in the major leagues. Uh, And so I'm really, that, that has to be alarming for some fans, uh, Yankee fans specifically, because he's not hitting lefties. So that's, he's just off period. Uh, If he's not hitting lefties, that's gotta be something that's making fans nervous and we, we were talking about it before we even got on the show. Uh, this is something that, you know, we've heard just within the people that – just within talk around fist stripes and some of the other writers and people that cover sports uh, in South Florida that Stanton's historically not been a huge fan of the media. I, not all athletes are, but Stanton has been historically a little standoffish doesn't love to do interviews and and stuff like that and he kind of got away with it because it's Miami it's a small market and uh, people don't really care but now he's in New York and you can't get away with that in New York you cannot get away with avoiding the media and he seems to be very uncomfortable with it so far do you think that New York is part of the reason why he's struggling we know that he's a slow starter notoriously but do you think that the big market is putting a little extra pressure on him I've never been a fan of that thinking. And this is somebody that I grew up in New York. So, I mean, I heard those cliches all the time. My father was a big Yankee fan. And he's, he's a guy that would just get furious when thinking back as some of the really big failures where they've had this history, of course, with high profile acquisitions and some of them really hit it off. And a lot of them don't for whatever reason. So I'm not, uh, again, I'm not really a big fan of that where, admittedly baseball has a big mental side to it I I just don't know if that's something that a lot of players think about too much uh especially Stanton because you're I mean you're right that he is he has that um history of of kind of being standoffish and not embracing um those like requirements of the job of being really transparent with the media but um I Again, there's just there seems to be some similarities between some of the slumps that he had with the Marlins. You have to go back a couple of years because, um, I mean, one of the big reasons why Marlins were able to trade Stanton is because he was so great last year. I mean, he took off in the second half, but really for the majority of the season, like he was just consistently great. Uh, he was striking out less than he ever had before. But um, if you go back a few years, you find other early parts of his season where he was struggling to make contact, where he just wasn't recognizing pitches, because that's what concerns you is that it seems like he doesn't recognize when a, a slider is coming and the, he just waves at it so like defenselessly. And um, it, it does look bad, but I mean, I'm not ready to necessarily put it on the change in scenery. Uh, I, I, what I do think is that I, this assumption that he is who he was last year, I've never totally bought into that. Um, because even by his standards, last year was above and beyond anything we'd ever seen before. And you could say maybe that's what the peak Stanton looks like. Um, I just um, He was human before that. He was human in his other years. He was excellent, and he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and he still is, but he's human. So um, I think in hindsight, um, the Marlins got to feel pretty grateful that they did trade him when they did, as unpopular as it was initially and as bad as it looked, it was a difficult decision to make. Uh, 
that the new regime kind of just had to make considering the finances of the club and, and the depth or lack of depth that they had in the minors. Um, but th- these are the kind of stretches that scared you with Stanton that made you think he would never be movable because you, you never know for sure that he's going to snap out of it. But I mean, I personally, I'm still pretty sure that he's going to get back to being a star player in due time. And my only, I, I, I agree with you partly. And then the other part of me that, doesn't want to agree with you is saying when is the last time 50,000 fans in Marlins Park booed John Carlos Stanton and that's something that I don't care who you are I'm gonna say that's gonna get in your head a little bit and I do think he'll work out of it and I do think it's an adjustment period for him but I do think it is something that has to have a little bit of an impact on him uh you even see that that two home run game he had was away from home he comes his opening series 0 for 5 with 5Ks, continues to struggle at home, but we'll see. And I think it's going to be a process, and I think Yankees fans have to be patient. But let's hop back to the Marlins now. Like we said, Harlan Garcia has absolutely been dominant. Uh, he didn't have his best stuff against the Yankees, which was fine. But what I really liked about what I saw is he didn't have his best stuff, and he was still effective. And that is what makes a good pitcher a good pitcher. It's not how many people they strike out when they're on. It's about how they pitch when they don't have their best stuff and how they make the best of what they have working with them. And he looked really good despite the fact that he walked five people, if that makes sense. But I really liked what I saw from him. And I I really am excited that the Marlins have another uh, prospect. I know he's not really a prospect anymore, but in terms of being in the rotation, I would say he's a prospect. Someone that they can put a little hope into and, and say, maybe this guy could pan out. Maybe this guy could be a diamond in the rough. But in terms of the rest of the team, I really don't know what the future is for some of these guys. I think Starlin Castro is taking up space at second base. He's hitting the ball well, and he's, he's been great for the team, but he has no purpose on being on the Marlins right now. I think, especially with Prado coming back, the Marlins should just sell high on Starlin. You know his power numbers are going to be down going from Yankee Stadium to Marlins Park. He, oh, he doesn't have a home run yet this year. He had 15 last year. I think he's playing good defense so far this year, too. The Marlins really just need to ship him out while they can, get what they can, and let Prado boost his stock at second base, play as much as he can, and let the Marlins get rid of that contract as well. But I really do think the Marlins need to get rid of Starlin. And like we talked about before, with the Marlins not having a great farm system still, I think Real Muto has got to be the next guy to go to. And uh, the Mets obviously have said they're interested, but the Mets don't have the pieces. So I'd like to hear what you think about a potential Real Muto trade and also going back to what you think about Starling Castro. Oh, well, so to be clear, the reason why Castro, you're right, and I agree that Castro seems so expendable is because of his contract situation where he has, he has this year, he has next year, and let me just double check for a second. But – He's, he's not there long-term, and they're probably not going to be a great team in these next few years. He also has a 2020 team option on top of those this year in 2019. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's not a guy that's vastly outperforming that contract. Um, so it, it's a thing where if he does head into a significant slump, you get to a point where you may be stuck with him these next couple of years, even when he's not really a part of the team the direction of the team and even he, he doesn't fit in the window that the team is looking to contend which is going to be in the early 2020s probably so yeah you want to get rid of him when you can um i mean he's a guy that 
only plays second base. Like he was a shortstop coming up in the first few years, but he's pretty stuck in this role now. And so without that versatility, you wonder what his market's going to look like. Uh, and other teams aren't really looking to make trades right now or for the next couple of months, really. So it, it's something that it always makes you nervous when you have this guy on a significant contract um, and you worry about whether it's a slump or an injury, you something that would take him out of being a trade candidate. But I, I do agree that um, he's, he's the guy that you want to do what you can to move and get any sort of prospect in return. Um, just something that will fit in your window a few years from now. And, and real, real Muto, I mean, his first game back was as uh, amazing as possible. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see exactly who he is. So he's been in the starting job for a few years, and like he's one of the best well-rounded catchers in baseball, and there's really no denying that. And uh, once I'm sure every other team accepts that, even if the fans nationally don't all see it yet, just because of the visibility down in Miami, like he's he's great. And so the question is, how high is his ceiling as a hitter? Like, is he the one he's, he's solid at pretty much every single skill you want offensively and defensively. Uh, but you wonder if he could be even more than that. If, if he's going to be a point where he is an above average power hitter, or he's a guy that's going to get on base at an even higher level. Like, is he going to move up even in that positional ranking and, and be someone that challenges Gary Sanchez or Buster Posey for the title of very best at his position. So, um, I, I'm generally not someone who sees it looking like he'll be traded this year at the deadline. I think it might be more towards after the season when he has as I mean, he has plenty of time between now and the trade deadline, but because he still has a couple of years of control beyond this year. Um, and uh, he, in terms of the agent that he has, he, he's someone that might be agreeable to an extension. He doesn't necessarily see him dead set on free agency. Like he's going to have just a huge market of interested teams if they do make it all the way to the offseason. So I, I don't know if he's gone at the deadline. Castro, definitely. Uh, Prado, if he is able to rebuild his value the next couple months, if he's able to stay healthy. Um, I'm sure the Marlins would even eat some of that contract to get him away. Um, Dan Straley, maybe, uh, as a guy that's cheap and controllable for a few years, but not quite in their window. And then obviously in the bullpen, those are the guys that are easiest to move at the deadline every year um, because you can never have enough pitching for these contending teams going down the stretch. Uh, so with all the pending free agents, which are Brad Ziegler and Tazawa, um, and you might even look into the more controllable guys, someone like Kyle Bearclaw, who, um, I mean, you'd like to keep him, but there, there's so many options for creating a relief pitcher from either within your own system or just stumbling on somebody special that if, if any reliever is heading towards the middle of the year and they're just red hot and they're striking out hitters and they're putting together a lot of clean innings, then they're going to have a market. And the Marlins should be open to, you know, whatever offers they get from those guys, anything that will add to the farm system. Well, the thing about Bearclaw is he has closer stuff. I mean, he, he is as good as it gets uh, in terms of striking out batters. Uh, he has an astronomical rate of strikeouts per nine innings. His slider is unbelievable. But 
he has become a little bit more expendable in my opinion because you look at the Marlins rotation now or, or bullpen rather you have a guy like Stecken Rider who's looked really good so far I, I think he's yet to give up a run Tehran Guerrero his numbers don't reflect how good he's really been once he hones in on his control a little bit I think he has closer stuff obviously I mean he touches triple digits with a wipeout slider and then you have you have a few other pieces in the minor leagues as well uh you know Jorge Guzman the Marlins are hoping hoping will be a starter but he does seem to have uh back end of the bullpen stuff that we'll wait and see on that but Barraclaw really is expendable um and he really could net a, a nice return if he continues to to throw well and that's that's an excellent point I also want to clarify one thing too is is I would not be excited about a JT Real Muto trade of course I, I love him in a Marlins uniform. I think he's one of the premier catchers in the league. He's young. He's the 20th fastest sprint speed in the league, which is unbelievable, as of last year at least. Uh, he's just a well, as well-rounded as you can get. I think he's he's Russell Martin on steroids. and he has But the, he's not on steroids. Yeah, that we know. Uh, to, to clarify, yes. Yes, figuratively speaking, on steroids. And he, he's, just, he's just an absolute stud of a catcher. But like we were saying before, I think if you look at it right now, if if every Marlins pitching prospect pans out and, and Lewis Brinson starts hitting the ball and Monty Harrison starts hitting the ball, that team's still not good. So they really need to maximize their potential here. And, and I think the only way to do that is, is trading Real Muto. But you look at the Mets, the Mets are interested. And I think it takes a team like the Mets that are surprisingly in contention. They're like, holy crap, we need a catcher still. Because Travis Darno can't play for five games without getting hurt, and they don't have anyone in the farm system. I mean, catching is really thin in the major leagues. Not a lot of teams have catchers. So the right. market is is huge. The market is basically everyone except for five teams that have Buster Posey, Gary Sanchez, etc. So mm-hmm. I think with the market being how it is, and, and there's always a few surprising teams in contention that have an automatic – way to upgrade themselves here you go on a silver platter this can put us in playoff contention i think it's obvious that real muto will have an absolutely incredible market and and i think it could cause a bidding war something like what happened with yelich and and the brewers ended up ponying up i think someone will end up ponying up for real muto and it won't be the mets because they don't have what it takes uh but in conclusion here as, as we're about to wrap up who do you think could get the uh, Real Muto, who who has what it takes and who could be a candidate to give up a, a significant haul because we know it's it's a big price. Uh, early in the offseason, the team I thought made a lot of sense for the Diamondbacks, where the Diamondbacks were coming off this surprisingly good year, and they had a little bit of a void at catcher because their starting catcher was Chris Iannetta last year. He was like a, a solid average guy, but he went to the Rockies. And so they're set. They're, uh, they ended up signing Alex Avila, um, who was coming off a huge year, but he's since really regressed. So their catchers right now are Alex Avila, old friend Jeff Mathis. He's still around and he still can't hit. And uh, John Ryan Murphy. And all three of them have seen like significant time in the majors. Actually, all three of them are on the active roster as we speak. They're carrying three catchers in the way that the Marlins were. But um, they're having another pretty good year. Uh, at least at this very start, and they're just not getting a lot of production at all from that position. So they're ones that they do have a little bit more prospect depth. They also they have some young, controllable major leaguers as well that might make more sense. Um, 
like their second baseman, Cattell Marte, who they just signed him to an extension. Yeah, all the way um, for the next five years, but also with team options all the way through 2024. So he's a guy who's really controllable in a way that Rio Muto isn't quite controllable, but someone that would help the Marlins set up, you know, a stable foundation at the major league level going forward. Uh, They had a breakout pitcher, John Duplantier, last year. And uh, he came out of nowhere as a really interesting starting pitching candidate, a guy that's really long and lean and just has great command. Um, So he's a guy that busted into the top 100 prospects. And and that's the thing is that the Marlins want one of those guys, one of those top 100 prospects that the Mets don't have. And yeah, that, that even though that Mets fit is like, it's a popular talking point. It's yeah, it just doesn't make sense. The assets don't line up. So the Diamondbacks were one that came to mind, but you're right. It's just it's pretty wide open, just depending um if they do surprise and if they do actually find a trade at the deadline rather than after the season, you know, it could just depend on which of these significant teams has has a little bit of a need at catcher, but is in contention at the moment. Um yeah, so one that might be a, a curious fit and really an exciting one is the Blue Jays because so the Blue Jays also like the Diamondbacks off to a pretty good start in a tough division and they're they owe Russell Martin a lot of money this year and next year but he's just not producing the way he used to and they have you get I think anybody knows that the Blue Jays have as high-end prospects as anybody with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and with Bo Bichette guys that have Uh, major league bloodlines but are just absolutely terrific offensive prospects guys that have higher floors as you said as you said you don't want to worry about these guys that have a lot of potential of bust but uh in the blue jays system in particular you have guys that are no doubt uh, like difference makers and at their very best could be totally special and be that kind of featured player that you build around so both of those guys aren't in the big leagues yet, but they could be next year pretty soon. And uh, so the question with that is that if Real Muto is able to have a career year, a guy who's already established this great baseline of performance, if he takes it to a higher level, then all of a sudden are you talking about the best prospects in the game that somebody would be willing to offer for him considering his production, considering that he's underpaid and considering his position, a position that has a lot of scarcity. Uh, so that's, I'd love to see that happen. You know, I'd love to see him have a, the breakout of all breakouts and the blue Jays to be desperate and um, give some, one of those like super superstar prospects that they have that mo- just no other team will be able to offer. But uh, we're still a long way away from that, you know. So in the, in the meantime, it's we're going to learn a lot about this team just because there's going to be uh, more veterans in the mix than were the first few weeks, um, and really Muto being like the one right in the middle of it. You know, and that's that's you know, the thing. That's, that's the thing. I would love I would it's a pipe dream for me to have one of those top prospects uh, for the Marlins to come. I Bo Bichette is an absolute stud. I I think Vladimir Guerrero is almost untouchable at this point, uh, with the, with the way he's just bursting onto the scene. But you look at the Rockies too; they got a guy like Brandon Rogers. The Marlins really do need an answer at shortstop. 
as much as I like Miguel Rojas, and I even tweeted the other day that he has played himself into an everyday role. I think he's definitely a above replacement player, but at the end of the day, he's not your answer at shortstop. A Bo Bichette, Brandon Rogers is something that you can really get excited about. Uh, so I, I do think it is very dependent on how Rio Muto plays, and that's why I do think it is it, it is ideal to wait. Uh, opposite of what the situation is with Starlin Castro, where I think if if you can get something for him. As soon as someone has a second baseman go down, then that, that might be the best option. But now that we're three weeks into the season, I, in conclusion here, uh, tell me, have your predictions for the Marlins changed at all, or is it exactly how you thought it was going to go? It's, I mean, the record-wise, it's it's lining up pretty closely with my expectations. Uh I mean, for the near, it's a lot is contingent on those veterans that are rehabbing, making it back and staying healthy. Where coming into the year, the reason why I didn't think the team would be dramatically worse, at least before the trade deadline, than they were last year, is because their pitching really couldn't have gotten much worse than it was last year. A lot went wrong with guys that they thought had track records and who disappointed with the replacement players they were calling up somehow being worse than replacement level. And I thought just by uh, by just running it back out there with the guys they had in their organization, just by handing out minor league deals to some guys with major league track record that they would get better production. And so far it's been, yeah, the pitching staff hasn't, it's it's been rough in the rotation, but the bullpen is the one that has really carried them pretty well despite a huge workload. Um, though, I mean, and what also we expected is that the offense would take a huge step back, and it has, because most most obviously it just doesn't have the power anymore. They're right along the bottom in the majors in slugging and in home run totals and even in doubles and triples. They just they're uh, I joke that they're the single greatest team in baseball because they they're going to get more singles than just about anybody else, and it's hard to keep up like in baseball today, where across the league there's as many home runs being hit as ever before. So, and if you're a team that's trying to string along two or three hits just to get a run, you're not going to be able to keep up. And so what it's going to take is those the rookies in the everyday roles right now, Lewis Brinson and Brian Anderson, showing it a little more because those were skills that they were supposed to have. Um, there were some questions about just their hit tool and um, maybe their plate discipline. But the power was supposed to be respectable from those guys. And it was supposed – and the same thing with some of these prospects that are knocking on the door below them. And uh, so the question is, yeah, how, I mean, how extreme is this offense going to be? Is it going to get any power from any position? I mean, you could trust Justin Bohr, who's finally heating up from a slow start. And yeah, you are really curious what they get from Real Muto whether it's going to be something more than we've ever seen before now that he's square in the middle of his prime. But yeah, my expectations haven't really changed a whole lot. I had them getting 69 wins and having a nice year entering the season. And they might be a little bit below that, uh, just depending on how many of these veterans get healthy and how many of them have a trade market in the middle of the year. Um, but the next wave that they have in AAA, um, I think it's better than they had last year. It's where if they do have significant injuries, um, they have guys that are going to come up and not be dramatically worse. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's a strange team. It, I mean, it's weird that, um, but, but, but we'll see. I mean, 
I, I overall though, I think we're pretty close to what I expected. It's definitely been unique to cover for us. Uh, I I can definitely say that it's been unlike any other team I've I've followed in my uh, baseball life so far, which is good and bad. But uh, it, it's good, definitely going to be an exciting year. There's, there's going to be a lot of new things that we're going to see, a lot of things we haven't seen before, and that's exciting. I'm actually headed out to Milwaukee this weekend to uh, catch the Marlins game uh, Friday and Saturday. So uh, I'll see if I can have some uh, coverage from there for Fish Stripes, and I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'll uh, see if Yelich wants to talk to us at all. I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, you should tell the, the folks real quick that you have – you're on a mission to go to all 30 major league ballparks. Yeah. And yeah. This so is that would be a new one. Yeah. That would be uh this will be 23 for me. So uh, yeah, I had the story come out about a month ago about uh, going to all 30 ballparks and uh, I'm, I'm trucking along here. Uh, that'll be about 23. So we're uh, moving along and I'm excited to keep going. Uh, this was kind of a last second uh, impulse move, but usually I plan in advance. And uh, as you know, I'm taking like, you know, children from from local hospitals at, at, at most of the stops that i'm going to go at especially in texas i have some contacts on there so i'm looking forward to it but uh i'm excited to see not that excited to be honest but uh, i'm intrigued to see christian yelich in a different uniform uh but other than that it, it, i'm looking forward to it and in regards to my uh predictions i was probably a little overly optimistic and i'll scale it down now because i said they're going to win 70 games and i think that's crazy I think they're mm-hmm. definitely going to be in the 60 range. But I have no problem with having the first pick in the draft next year. So uh, I know tanking doesn't work in baseball, but I'd like a little redemption for Tyra Kolick in the second pick in that spot back in 20, was it 2012, 2013? So I, I would love to have a little redemption there because the Marlins haven't had a top five pick since then. So yeah, uh, and a, a quick, just a quick note on that because you you know you were you were expressing concern that yeah this organization doesn't have um, you're concerned about some of the prospects they have right now at the higher levels and that uh, if these guys continue slumping then all of a sudden it looks like you're starting from scratch and I mean the simple answer is that they're supposed to be bad this year to get that really high draft pick and not just in the first round but one of the first choices in the second round and the third round and et cetera throughout the whole draft that's why. It, it is tanking. It is tanking. And like the only people denying that would be the team itself, that the intention is to get more added talent into the system. You have these guys, they might trade at the deadline, but there's a lot of uncertainty there. Those guys need to stay healthy and they need to pitch and pitch and hit as well or better than they ever had before to create a market. And even when you trade those assets, there's not a whole lot of major league assets left. They have to trade. In order to build like a truly stable long-term contender, they're gonna need um, they're gonna need more, and they're gonna get some of that in trades, but they're gonna get probably the majority of that in the draft and internationally. And the hope is that the prospect evaluators, the scouts that they have in their system right now, are more capable than in the previous regime. And again, it all starts with the opportunity and they're going to have a big opportunity if they finish with a bad record this year and maybe next year too, before you really start looking to put that together at the major league level. Yeah. And they, they do have the most uh, international bonus pool money and they do have among the worst records in the league and they have had a terrible history of drafting. So that is a very easy way to turn things around. It's just draft better. 
because they have not drafted well. But in conclusion, uh, the Marlins are not that good. We knew that <laughs> three weeks in. It's not a surprise, but there is plenty to be excited about. And hopefully the turnaround of Lewis Brinson will start in his old hometown of Milwaukee. But anyway, Eli, it's always fun. Thanks for being on. And keep, keep looking out for our podcast. It'll be every two weeks. Uh, I'm sure Eli will be on a lot more. Uh, I always have fun with Eli. Every once in a while, I might have a host from another uh, SB Nation site, which we've always uh, had a good job of doing and always enjoy doing as well. But Eli, thanks for being on like always. It's a pleasure. Thank you.